Everybody, my name is DJ Setho, and welcome to another episode of the High Five Countdown Podcast. I'm proud to say that there are more High Five Countdown Podcast episodes than months that happened in 2016. For those of you who don't know about the High Five Countdown Podcast, we are a podcast that counts down the top five of a particular category, one that is relevant to pop culture. My co-hosts and I will discuss, we'll debate, we'll each give our top five, then we'll try to come to a consensus and reach a definitive top five. Before we get into this episode and the topic, let me introduce my two co-hosts. My first co-host actually spent a month of his life crafting a letter to Steven Tyler because without Steven Tyler's influence, he would not become what he is today. We have Matty G, the musician. Well, I'm a one-man band. Hello, and I'm glad to see that every week you have a, a new lie and rumors. <laughs> wow, lie. That's a tough word. It's rumors. It's rumors. It's allegations. You know, the last podcast, you were thanking Steven Tyler and, and showing your gratitude. I thought maybe, you know, let me get you in good with uh, the lead singer of Aerosmith. And, man. I mean, if it'll help me, you know, I, I just, I can't wait for us to be like, in the next episode, like, what the next, uh, what the next rumor's gonna be, you're gonna start. I'm, I'm tired of rumors starting, just like Lindsay Lohan. Wow, Lindsay Lohan reference. My second co-host is the modern-day Martin Luther King. He first stood up to Wookiee discrimination, and in our last episode, he stood up to shark discrimination. We have Tony B. That's right, I I fight for the... uh... For the people who don't have a voice out there, for Wookiees that don't have a voice, for the sharks that are discriminated, I'm your guy. Well, I'll tell you what, it is a pleasure to be on the podcast with both of you guys, Matty G, the musician, and the man who is brave enough to fight against Wookiee and shark discrimination. I need to ask a question to Matty G. Did you find those chicken fingers that you dropped way back when Bruce Springsteen played in the Super Bowl halftime show? I want you to put the chicken fingers down! I, I I found something that was like a crusty old um, mildewy bone of some sort of substance. I imagine that must have been a chicken finger, but uh, unlike McDonald's uh, Big Macs, it, it probably perished a little bit. I mean, hopefully, you know, next time I'll eat a Big Mac and drop it on the floor so that it will be the same in six years. I kind of feel you were probably taken off guard because, let's face it, Bruce Springsteen didn't, like, prep us. And he didn't say, oh, you know, put your chicken fingers in the refrigerator. He said to drop them. So it's literally, you know, you just kind of drop it. I want you to step back from the guacamole dip. I want you to put the chicken fingers down. If I had known I, you know, needed Tupperware for the Super Bowl party. Now I know, and I'll learn, I'll take that lesson with me. Thank you, Bruce Springsteen. Well, when you got a guy who has self-proclaimed himself the boss and he's telling you what to do you better freaking do it we're gonna bring the righteous tony give me that impression i need you to put down the chicken fingers put down the guacamole and get righteous 
We're going to bring the righteous! If you guys don't understand what we're talking about, check out our previous podcast, episode 3, which was top 5 Super Bowl halftime shows. It was a fun time. Probably one of my favorite high five countdown podcasts to date until this one. That being said, are you guys ready to get righteous? We're going to bring the righteous! Oh yeah. I am. I'm ready. Well, episode 4 is top 5. Five Cinderella stories in honor of the upcoming March Madness tournament. No good by George. The dream is alive. And we're going to do something a little different because this was actually a very inspired idea by one of the co-hosts, Maddie G, the musician. So I'm going to take a step off to the side and I'm going to let Maddie G introduce the topic. Okay, first of all, March Madness. To get a little sidetracked, is, in my opinion, the greatest sports weekend of the year. Uh, I don't even follow college basketball, but March Madness is the best thing in sports. It's got the most drama, most excitement. It's just like a whole weekend of just uh, nonstop sort of like drama and buzzer beaters and people playing their last game of their career in college basketball. It's, just, it's insane. Uh, I think it's the best sporting event of the whole year. Anyway. What our topic is about is Cinderella's, because as we know from March Madness history, there's a lot of Cinderella stories. We have these small schools that come out of nowhere and shock the whole country, and wind up going far in the tournament, sometimes even winning the championship. So our topic, we kept it to Cinderella stories. Doesn't mean that it's a sports team, doesn't mean that it's even an athlete, but it totally can be. Um, we define a Cinderella as someone or something that came from very modest means to reach a high level of status or success. I know it's a very uh, detailed thing, but I do teach, so I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I tend to kind of watch my grammar more than, uh, than most. Uh, when I made my list, uh, I don't want to go too much into my picks yet, but uh, when I made my list, I tried to um, just like separate Cinderella's story from maybe just like a big upset, which I think is going to be really hard for a lot of people to be like, wait, if it's a big upset, isn't that a Cinderella? But just because, like, a team upsets, like, a really favorite team, I don't know if that means, like, they came from nothing. Like, they weren't, like, this, like, scrappy, poor team beating this, like, juggernaut, really wealthy, you know, establishment. Like, I don't want to go too much into detail yet because I'm going to have picks that are like that. But um, I think it's a little bit different. And not necessarily with the winning. I don't know if it matters. I mean, uh, uh, just going from nothing to becoming this high-level I think that's a Cinderella. I think that, you know, Disney. I think about Disney. Like, Cinderella, she, she got the slipper, blah, blah, blah. She wants that meeting the prince. I mean, does she win? I guess. But, I mean, even if she didn't, she still, like, kind of made a big meteoric rise. I always get those Disney people confused. Was Cinderella the one that fell asleep? Um, I think it's Sleeping Beauty. Was Cinderella the one that rode on the magic carpet? No, that was Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I, I was joking. I, that was Jasmine, man. No, it wasn't. The magic carpet. Jasmine and Aladdin? Yeah, that's Beauty and the Beast. Or it's Aladdin. A whole new world. A dazzling place I never knew. Or you can go and watch Beauty and the Beast and you'll see the magic carpet. Maddie G? I think it's an Easter egg, actually. I think maybe right. I don't know. Or something like that. <laughs> Uh, is this Milan? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Top five Disney movies. A whole new world. A dazzling place I never knew. 
Tony B, what are your thoughts on Cinderella's? Um, well, I like it because it's a broad topic. I, I, for me, it was tough to, you know, to, do you define it as a person? Does, does, it, does it have to be a team? Could it be a thing? Could it, could it be something that you don't expect to be successful and then, then it grows on to have a lot of success? Would that count as a Cinderella? It's kind of open to, uh, to interpretation to a lot of people. So that, I think it's going to be fun about the, the topic is that, you know, like you can argue for something being a Cinderella without it being very tangible. It's not like saying like, you know, top scorers in the NBA of all time. Like that would be like, oh yeah, we, we got facts to, to prove that. This is more of like a debatable topic, I think. So it makes it in some way more, more intriguing. Not going to lie, Matty G, you made me think about this one. I was thinking about it two nights ago and I'm like, Cinderella, Cinderella. And you know what the first thing that came to mind was? There's a song that Eminem released called Cinderella Man off his recovery CD. It's one of my favorite Eminem songs. It's the first thing that came to mind. So I listened to that song to do my research. And I found a verse of lyrics from that song that I think, at least for me, helped me define what my choices were for this top five. So, for everyone's entertainment, a poetic reading of Eminem's Cinderella Man verse. This is verse two. It has been edited because this is a family-oriented podcast. iTunes, I repeat, this is a family-oriented podcast. There's no cursing. So please remove the explicit label on us in iTunes. And with that, here is a poetic reading of Eminem's Cinderella Man. Screamed shut up at thunder and flipped the world upside down and made it rain upward. Rewound the future to the present. Paused it, don't ask how. Screw the past. He's the stuff right now. Wrapped the game up in cellophane. Raised hell up, he came. So basically, what I pulled from those lyrics were, number one, the Cinderella, whether it's a team, a person, a thing, pretty much yelled shut up at the man. And and those are the people who determine, oh, well, this is the favorite versus this one being the underdog. The Cinderella also did the impossible, just like Eminem said, you know, it rained upward. The Cinderella was able to not just pull off one upset, but pull up a lot of different, dramatic, unexpected outcomes. Then he talks about how you have to forget the past, because at the end of the day, the humble beginnings the Cinderella came from don't matter, because as Matty G said, they're escaping those humble beginnings. And the last one is wrap the game up in cellophane, which means it keeps the game fresh. Whatever it is, whether it's basketball, baseball, football, boxing, television, music... To have a story, to have a Cinderella that no one expected, keeps everyone on their toes. Because let's face it, it gets boring when the same teams make the playoffs and make the Super Bowl, or make the World Series, or make the NBA Finals, or make the college basketball championships. And it's a lot more fun when the unexpected happens, and when the underdogs rise up to take over the power. I like to picture you when you're reading the poetry, like having um, like a pipe and a turtleneck, and being by like a nice warm fire. I was in my Hugh Hefner robe, and I had bifocal glasses on, and I did have a pipe. That's all I wanted to know. I mean, it's it's kind of like this, similar to what we were all kind of saying, except for it's. I guess once we actually have the tangible picks, we'll be able to see like what 
you know, where everything stands and everyone's, uh, and everyone's kind of like philosophy about what a Cinderella is. And I'll be interested not just to hear the picks, but to hear people's reasoning for the pick. Yeah, sure. Tony, any uh, last minute thoughts? No, I think we should have that as a, uh, a section on every podcast. You doing a dramatic reading of lyrics. I agree. <laughs> Next week, I will do a dramatic reading of Limp Biscuits Nookie. I was hoping for uh, Juvenile back that thing up. I could do that one. <laughs> you gotta keep it clean, though. You know. Well, again, uh, we aren't an explicit podcast. iTunes. So if you keep a score at home, uh, that means we already have Juvenile, Lindsay Lohan, and Biscuit in the same episode. Wow. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? One, two, three, let's go. Here we go. All right. Well, I guess I'll start out with my uh, my top five. But before I get into the top five, I had a tough time, Matty G, because there were so many I wanted to include. So I had to give two honorable mentions. I know I usually don't do this. I won't drag it out, but I just had to give these honorable mentions. My first honorable mention was a person who I thought was a true Cinderella. But then I realized that they weren't. They didn't fall under the rules of a Cinderella. It's actually a person that we're all familiar with, and it's kind of close to home. My first honorable mention is Matty G. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) Well, if you think about it, Matty G, you know, you were, what, in college when everything happened, when you had the one-man band um, videos earning all those hits on YouTube, you had the uh, Grammy commercial uh, from the 2010 Grammys, you worked on the MTV show... What were you in college at that, or right out of college? Yeah, but I'm definitely not Cinderella. I'm 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 a I'm a guy who was a geek for music, and I just played in the basement. <laughs> and then I realized you weren't a Cinderella. You did not fall under the underdog person from humble beginnings because you came from Yonkers, and I didn't realize the pedigree of people that actually came from Yonkers. When you were talking about Lady Gaga, you were talking about Steven Tyler, Mary J. Blige, uh, DMX. So, I'm sorry, but Yonkers people were born with Silver Spoon. (laughs) The problem is, there's people in the world that might hear this and they might actually believe what you're saying. (laughs) Yonkers is a very, not that. So, wait, I'm confused. Did you win a Grammy? I did not win a Grammy. (laughs) We're making more rumors. We're causing more rumors. I was on a commercial for it for like three oh, seconds. Wait, you were on a Grammy commercial? Yes, but I wasn't actually in the no, Grammy. No, I didn't win a Grammy. I just won a commercial for a Grammy. That's not serious. <laughs> the commercial was a Lady Gaga commercial, too. Yep. Worked with Lady Gaga? It's like It was like a fan thing. They took a bunch of YouTube videos, and they just... Uh, they all kind of, like, become a big mural of Lady Gaga's face. It was, like, a weird, like, thing they were doing that year. It was, like, we're all fans. That was, was, like, the name of the commercial. And uh, I just took a bunch of YouTube videos. I'm, like, the third guy. I just pop out. And then, like, after me, like, I'm, it's, like, ten videos. So I get, like, a little solo time for, like, three seconds. And then it's just, like, all these, like, videos come up and it becomes Lady Gaga's face. It's kind of cool. And this was in the Super Bowl? No, it was actually during the playoffs, actually, 2010. So I think Playoffs? Was... Playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? Playoffs? <laughs> but what I will say is this. Matty G, you did not qualify as a Cinderella. Well, I'm uh, I'm flattered that I got considered. 
My next honorable mention is a young man who had just moved into a new town, got bullied, and then eventually looked to find a way to defend himself, which put him in more trouble. I'm talking about the Karate Kid. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I really wanted to put him in the top five. Daniel LaRusso is the main character's name in the movie, played by Ralph Mahio. I think that's how you say it, right? So the funny thing is, like, he literally looks like he's 12 years old. And then he goes to uh, Cobra Kai Dojo, and you have all these big kids uh, training karate, and these kids look like they're 27. And and this little 12-year-old Daniel LaRusso has to square off against these, like, big 27-year-olds. The reason I think it's a Cinderella story was that, obviously, he's at a disadvantage against these big kids. And then, not only that, but the Cobra Kai teacher is named John Cress, who is just this big intimidating douchebag of a guy who is pretty much telling his students to sweep the leg and to hurt people and to put him in a body bag. Get him a body bag! Under the training of Mr. Miyagi, this 12-year-old boy not only wins the tournament, not only beats the 27-year-old Cobra Kai kid who they said was only 16, but let's face it, he was like 38. But if you watch the third Karate Kid movie, you'll realize that because Daniel LaRusso won the tournament, John Cress's school got closed down, this guy's life got completely ruined... Um, in the beginning of the third episode, he couldn't pay his bills. I think he was probably an alcoholic. A grown man's life was ruined by a 12-year-old. That's sad. I mean, the actors is probably playing those guys probably were 27. I mean, if you ever see any uh, high school movies, they usually have guys who are, like, already have receding hairlines and stuff. So, yeah, it probably were 27. Yeah, I didn't know that Karate Kid had all these, you know economic issues in it. I mean, if the karate kid knew that he was going to be bankrupting this poor karate store, this dojo, I don't think he would have won. I think he was such a graceful guy. He was like, you know what? I'm going to let Cobra Kai have this because this is all Cobra Kai has. <laughs> if I beat Cobra Kai, they're done. Wh- whatever, I'll have a trophy. I'll go to Japan. But they won't have anything. Who knows what this adult's going to do? Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. <laughs> And they're just kids, and they're just watching it. There was a lot at stake. I didn't realize. Check out the opening scene of the third Karate Kid. It's the most depressing thing in the world. And you realize what a douchebag Daniel LaRusso is. Taking down the working man. (laughs) No, it sounds like some some economic crimes or social crimes. You have adults beating up children, children bankrupting adults. (laughs) What kind of world is the Karate Kid living in? It's a dark, dark world. I didn't, I didn't know all that. I'm, I'm so enlightened now. I have to rewatch these. That's, that's. I, I didn't know. Uh, the Karate Kid hated small business. So I didn't know that. <laughs> so those are my two honorable mentions. Bye. All right, number five on my top five Cinderella stories is the Butler Bulldogs of 2009 and 2010. And 2010 and 2011. And a bounce to it. Back of the rim. Rebound. Hayward. And Butler wins it. Butler's going on to the national championship game. You guys remember this run? Yes. Oh, I I remember that run. I have a story about that run, but... Well, basically, to set up the story, you have this mid-major local college who are grabbing these local overlooked recruits. They were mid-seeded. And then in those back-to-back years, they went to back-to-back championship games. 
teams. Obviously, the 2009-2010, they came in at a number five seed. They were only the second team from a mid-major conference to actually advance as far in the tournament as they did. I remember they beat number one seeded Syracuse. Uh-huh. Number two seeded Kansas State. Mm-hmm. And number five seeded Michigan State. That's a that's a damn good run. No, I hear you. I mean, uh, that, that's very notable of uh, Cinderella. Definitely a legit pick. I, mean, I agree. Well, I remember the first run. They in the, the first run they made to the Sweet Sixteen or whatever. They had to be a lot of good teams. And I remember that year, I filled out an office bracket pool like everybody else up, and I thought I had it all covered. This is also the same year that St. Mary's went to the Sweet Sixteen. Well, I filled out my bracket. I'm calling coaches. I'm checking ESPN. I do a lot of research for my brackets. And then I go to um, the, the the secretary, and she fills out her bracket. And she's like, well, what do you think, Tony? And I start laughing because it was one of the worst brackets I've ever seen. I'm like, Mary, I, I, I don't know where to start with this nonsense. First of all, you have Butler beating Sarah. What is this nonsense? <laughs> you know what her rationale was? She actually had Butler in the Final Four the year that they went to the Final Four. You know why? Why? She always wanted a Butler. <laughs> that was her reason. She's like, I've always wanted a Butler. They're playing Syracuse. It's too cold up there. I'm going with Butler. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Meanwhile, I'm like, okay, Mary, you take Butler. Me and the rest of the country... We'll take Syracuse, and we'll see what happens. Now, what's this other nonsense you have? You have the St. Mary's beating Kansas. What's what's going on here? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't like Kansas. It's very boring over there. And my name is Mary. <laughs> Lo and behold, so St. Mary's upsets Kansas. Butler beats Syracuse. So, of course, the next day, I have to go in and face that I talked all this garbage to her about how her picks were garbage. And, of course, she got all the upsets. And she had to say, oh, so Anthony, how did your picks go? <laughs> and we, we don't have the censors here. I, I said, believe that, man. You know, dang well how my picks went. Uh, it was Butler. How did you know that Butler thing was going to happen? <laughs> she might have been calling different coaches. But I'll tell you this. If St. Anthony's ever makes the tournament, I got him in the Sweet 16. <laughs> Same for you. If I see Seth University, they're going to the Elite Eight. It's a guarantee. St. Mary's. Her name. If her name was Jill, she would have picked Kansas like everyone else. St. Mary's. I've always wanted a Butler. That's uh, ever since then. I've never played the brackets. There, there was a year where uh, I think it was the same year, uh, 2011. It was a story on like Yahoo or something that one person had like a perfect bracket or the best bracket in the country was this woman who just likes dogs a lot. So she had mm-hmm. dogs and the Huskies playing. In the oh, team. yeah. That's all she had. She's like, oh, I have, a, I have a gal that went to Notre Dame, so I'm picking Notre Dame. I'm like, no, no, Notre Dame's like a, a 15 seed, man. Oh, I like Georgia. The dog, that dog is so cute. I'm picking Georgia. That's, and lo and behold, Georgia wins. You're better off picking with colors and locations than actually researching these teams. Places you want to live. Oh, yeah, Florida sounds good. <laughs> she picked Florida over, like, again, like Kansas, I keep using Kansas. Like, who wants to live in Kansas? Kansas is terrible. Pick Florida. Oh, okay, man. And, of course, Kansas loses in the first round. She had a gal that went to UConn, so she picks UConn. Like, this kind of nonsense. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm checking the rebound stats. I'm, I'm checking RPI. I'm calling coaches. I'm calling ESPN. She's going, well, I like the weather. 
UCLA. I love Los Angeles. It's great. I'm picking them. Everyone's got that story about the office secretary. I had a similar situation with the office secretary in my uh, in my job, and she gets third place. And all she did was pick based on her favorite colors. <laughs> yeah, of course. And she's good at it, too. That, that was the thing. She goes, man, before I even met, she goes, I'm actually very good at this March Madness thing. I'm like, all right, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> Maddie G, watch out for the Wiley secretary. I'm seeing this now. I'm seeing that, uh, you know, I, I won one time. I won a first round prize. I was very proud of myself because it was like 45 people and I was second place for the first prize. Uh, I mean, for the first round prize, like three years in a row or something like something crazy. And I finally won. It was $60. I've never won the actual tournament and I'm starting to think I got to start asking, like, you know, secretaries around my job, you know, hey, what do you think? Uh, you know, what's your favorite color? You know? But for a, a mid-level conference team to do that in back-to-back years, I thought that very much warranted a spot on my top five. Well, I mean, I have a personal connection to Butler after not having them picked in my brackets. So I'll, I'll never forget that Butler run. Cool. Number four. It was the year 2005. And young college Seth was feeling very depressed and dejected. Because it was the year in the NFL where the Eagles were terrible. Where T.O. was doing sit-ups in the driveway. Where McNabb and Westbrook and all these key players were hurt. And the Eagles were doing terrible. And I really didn't want to watch football. Because I was so irritated with the state of the Eagles season that year. But then there was a scrappy team who rose up, just barely captured the number six seed in the AFC. And then they go on to win three consecutive road games, one against the Bengals, one against the Colts, and one against Denver. And then they go on to the Super Bowl. In what I think was one of the most exciting football runs in the NFL, my number four pick is the 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, yeah, uh, you know what it is. Everything I do, yeah, I do it reason I picked this is because they were the first team since the actual merger between the AFL and NFL to actually win a Super Bowl without a home game. The other reason I picked it was because Ben Roethlisberger was a very young quarterback, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but every sports analyst said Ben could only throw the ball between 20 and 25 times. If he was forced to throw more, the game was most likely a loss. And it was because no one had faith in Roethlisberger, they wanted the running game, and the defense to carry the Pittsburgh Steelers. And yet this scrappy young quarterback is able to lead this team in a very competitive uh, AFC because that year Pittsburgh was actually, I think they finished like 11-5, and five, but the AFC was so competitive they were a number 6 seed at 11-5. and five. That's how good the AFC was that year. And then the Colts game which I think everyone remembers, where the Steelers had the football. The announcers were even saying, well, the game is over. The Steelers will move on. For our, for all of you fantasy football players out there that have Jerome, you've got to be very excited right now. Wouldn't it be nice for him to get his second touchdown? Of the game? And the Steelers are right by the goal line. They hand off to Jerome Bettis. Bettis fumbles. The one Colts defensive lineman picks up the football and starts running back. And it looks like the Colts are actually going to get the run back for a touchdown. And Ben Roethlisberger is trying to track this guy down and literally makes a shoestring tackle to stop this guy from running it all the way back and giving the Colts the win. Now Peyton does Peyton Manning things. He brings them down to the field and sets them up for the field goal. But then the kicker misses the field goal and the Steelers end up winning the game. And then they go and they win an ugly game against a Seattle Seahawks team, which 
Yes, pre-Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks actually were a very competitive team under Matt Hasselback. And the Steelers were able to pick up the win, win the Super Bowl, and end one of the most amazing runs for a number six seeded team in the NFL. Be a strong case for it. The team definitely was an unexpected success, so, I mean, I can see why you picked it. <laughs> that season started the legend of Roethlisberger. And I, I do remember the, um, although they were trying to say, like, oh, well, if he only throws it 27 times, they did. Well, they're looking kind of bad in hindsight now. But at the time, it wasn't a pretty sight if he was going to be throwing it 20, 40 times a game. It's it's crazy to think how Roethlisberger developed because now I think he throws like 40 times a game. He's thrown for like 400 yards and three touchdowns. And you think back to those times where people were literally like, he can't throw more than 25 times or you're in trouble. Well, I just remember he, it wasn't that he was good. It was just that nobody could tackle him. He would be sacked. But next thing you know, he just, it's like an adult just taking the kids off, like just throwing people to the side and then he throws it down the field. So it, it worked for his rookie season and he was able to develop over time into the quarterback we see today. Like, literally, it's like trying to tackle a line. But yeah, he was spry. He was sprightly on his feet. Yeah. And he would scramble, too. Like, you, next thing you know, you see him running down the field. Like, okay, go, Ben, go. I wasn't a Pittsburgh fan, but it's very easy to cheer for him. I'm just looking up them right now. I'm just uh, reading about it. I mean, that's actually his rookie season. That's pretty impressive. That, like, the, you know, that kind of adds to the Cinderella-ness of uh, the story. If you have, like, a rookie quarterback and they want to being a six seed and going all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't know too much about I know Paul Malo is like kinda like he's like the, the celebrity of the team, I guess, besides Roddisberger, he's in the commercials and stuff. But Bettis I didn't know about because at that point I wasn't really watching football as much. I would watch the Super Bowl, but I wasn't like yet like how I am now where I watch like every week like everyone else. Um, but I know Bettis I think that was his last game as a as an NFL player, correct? That was his final season. He uh, rode off in the sunset. Yeah, I remember that. I just didn't know how good of a player he was. I imagine he, he was good. Uh, I didn't know anything about it at the time, but I just remember he was uh, in Detroit, and that's where the Super Bowl was. And I think he's from Detroit, so it was a big party. It was kind of like a like a good send off for him. And I just remember Palomalu, like as a, somebody who didn't watch football, as just the, the guy with like the crazy hair, and he just seemed like every time I watched him, he'd be picking somebody off, and I was like, "Who is this guy?" Yeah, and who knew that his hair would get insured for a million dollars? I mean, if J-Lo can uh, ensure her, uh, her rear end, then uh, why not, you know, Palomalo and his uh, long locks? My number three is probably one of the most fun Cinderella runs that I can remember in sports. And it was it happened back in 2006. It was in the March Madness Tournament. And I remember taking a look at this team because the team actually had the same name as a 24 character. I've never heard of the Flying Bowers. <laughs> Jack Bauer University? Do you know who I am? The Almeidas? Yeah. Not the Kims. <laughs> no, the, it's actually Cougar University. The, the, the Cougars? <laughs> George Mason Patriots. <laughs> Named after season one and two CTU head George Mason. Mm-hmm. The heroic George Mason. Yeah, and this team was as heroic as George Mason. Matty G, do you remember George Mason from 24? Absolutely. Oh, no, no, the show. I think you meant the, the team. Absolutely, the team. Uh, I've actually, I know I know this is going to you know make you very sad, but I've actually never seen 24. Do you know who I am? Oh, my gosh. I, I, there's a lot of amazing TV shows that I've never seen one episode of. 
like I said, I watch a lot of non-fictional stuff. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to get too political about the shows I watch or anything. But uh, my favorite non-fiction show is not comedy. It's Game of Thrones. I mean, I mean, fictional show. Game of Thrones. That's about it. I don't, I don't do a lot of TV. I hope Game of Thrones is uh, is fictional. Because if it was non-fictional, I don't want to see the White Walkers in real life. Well, obviously, we established from last episode that... We know who the White Walkers are. <laughs> Very true. We've seen him at the stage of the Super Bowl. Rolling Stones. But not to uh, get off too far off topic, I remember this run like it was yesterday. And I remember everyone was really uh, really upset because George Mason had actually made the tournament and everyone was saying they were just going to be that quick elimination team and they got in as an 11th seed. And I'm going to do the whole rundown because I think it's truly impressive. First round, they beat the Spartans who were in the, in the final, I think it was the Elite Eight or the Final Four of the previous year. Then what I think is the marquee game of their run, they beat the Tar Heels, who were a number three team. I was really mad because I had the Tar Heels, I think, going to the championship that year in my bracket. And I remember I thought the game was locked because the Tar Heels actually had an early lead. I was like, George Mason's not going to come back and beat them. Then after that was uh, the Wichita State Shockers, which, all right, that's fine. And then it was the Huskies. They were the number one seed. They were the favorite to win the tournament that year for a lot of people. I just remember that game. It was one of the most exciting games that um, I ever saw because George Mason had the lead and they were trying to hold off the Huskies and it was this like overtime game. It was a two-point difference, and the Huskies had the final shot. Everyone thought, oh, you know what? The Huskies are somehow going to steal this game from George Mason. And I'm like, I hope so, because I'm sick of this George Mason. They were busting on my bracket left and right. George Mason ends up outlasting, outlasting the Huskies because they had missed a shot to tie the game up and keep it going. So that's my number three. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was quite, you know, very memorable run, 2006. I mean, I think that and 2011 stick out to me as, like, the most bracket-busted, you know, uh, tournament that I can think of in, in recent memory because both times they were just, like, nuts. You had, like, George Mason or you had Butler or somebody else. Like, UConn, I think, won when they were, like, a six-seed or something crazy. I don't even know the numbers. But I remember it was, like, UConn-Kentucky one year in the championship before they were respected. Like, uh, a few years later on, when they had the higher seeds, it was kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like a lesson about, like, not looking at the seeds too much, because uh, you kind of program yourself to be like, oh, well, clearly, George Mason can't beat a, a number three seed in North Carolina, but then, you know, when you see it on, you know, on the TV screen, it's like, wow, this is, there's just two teams, and, like, it's not like, you know, it, you know when, when they push up the shelf, I mean, when they're really playing, I mean, it doesn't matter which one's from North Carolina, which one has the name brand, and which one doesn't. Very true. I mean, anything can happen. It is a one-game tournament. It's not like they're playing a best-of-three or best-of-five series. That's the beauty of the tournament. That's why I think it's the best sporting event the whole year, because it's just that times 32 games in the first round. It's exactly right. You know, you can't look at these their seedings. You just you don't know. Like if I always made my tournaments and go, okay, well, clearly, two is better than the seven, so I'll have the two. And and you can't work it that way. Once you play basketball, it's just a basketball game. And like you said, a single elimination, anything can happen. If you have a team, you have to keep in mind, these teams that you've never heard of, they got into the tournament by winning their conference title. So they're already playing pretty good. Yeah, you never made, never heard of North Dakota Technical State College, but they won their conference. 
So they're ready to play whoever. They get fired up. They get a chip on their shoulder, and they see that people are doubting them. They're just going to play harder, and Mm -hmm. they have nothing to lose, so they can play very loose, whereas the favorite, they're always tense because... At the end of the day, the favorite's supposed to win. And I think especially if the favorite starts losing early, and I think I have to go back and check, but George Mason, I think, got got on top of the teams early, where if you have the favorite doubting themselves early on, now pressure starts to add up, and it's uh, it's hard to hit those jump shots when you're like, how how come they're winning by six? And you start trying to take that three-pointer that you think will be five points. I think a lot can be said about just experience in the tournament. I mean, a lot of these uh, these teams that have these huge upsets, a lot of them are seniors. I mean, at least a lot of their starters are seniors, where it's like do or die, and they had that maybe a couple of years of experience, whether it's in the tournament or in their in their own conference uh, tournament. And uh, they might be going up against a really highly ranked team, where it's like freshmen, and maybe they don't have as much like kind of a uh, you know experience in that kind of situation, and. There's also that kind of chip on your shoulder thing, so it's a lot of factors. There's a lot of like psychological things that you don't know what's going on in the players' heads when they're when they're in the middle of this game, and uh, you know shots can can somebody can get hot, somebody can get ice cold. It just it's an amazing phenomenon to see like what happens when push comes to shove, and like they, they got to just play the game. And uh, I try not to just pick the high seed all the time, but I mean some things I'm never going to do. I'm never going to pick a 16 seed or something. But I mean, like when you look at it, really the one seeds don't always go to the final four. It's just the bottom line. I mean, I think one time ever, 2008 is the only time ever all four one seeds made it. And yet how many people put all four one seeds in the final four? Number two is an athlete. And he is one of the few athletes where I can honestly say we experienced two Cinderella stories from. The first Cinderella story was when he was bagging groceries in a department store. Next thing you know, he was playing for the greatest show on turf. Second Cinderella story was he was backing up a quarterback who now we know it was a complete bust in the NFL, yet his coach decided to take a shot on him and he was able to lift a team that had never even sniffed greatness to get all the way to the Super Bowl and who were only a minute away from actually winning their first Super Bowl. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Kurt Warner. No, not Tim Tebow. Oh my gosh. Kurt Warner! Play clock at one. Kurt got the play away. Back to throw. Warner with ton of time. Throwing right side. Fits open. Caught at the five. I love Kurt Warner. One of the reasons I do is because, you know, not only with the Cinderella story with the greatest show on turf and how fun it was to see him play and sling that football around, because he's truly a good person. I was watching uh, Ellen DeGeneres. This is back in the day when I worked in TVs, so I actually had time to watch daytime television, and Ellen was on my watch list at the time. Kurt Warner was on Ellen right after uh, the Super Bowl. And Kurt Warner and his family were going out to eat, and this was two days before the actual Super Bowl. And uh, they go to this nice restaurant. What they do as tradition is they always pick someone in the restaurant, someone that catches their eye. They'll end up picking up the check for whoever they decide for a specific table. They were at the restaurant, and they couldn't help but notice this big table, and it was like a family of eight, and they were having 
fun. They were laughing. Kurt Warner's kids actually picked that table to be the one that they pay for because of the, the sense of camaraderie, the family, the fun they were having. So Kurt Warner tells the waitress, hey, grab their tab. I want to pay it for them. Then Kurt Warner and his family get ready to leave the restaurant. They, they never announced that they pay the tab. And as Kurt Warner was leaving, someone taps him on the shoulder and here it was the guy from the other table who Kurt Warner picked up the tab for. Turns out that table was a family of one of the linemen of the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's why he's such a nice guy. It's classy. It's very classy. It's a very classy guy. Gotta make sure your enemy is well fed. And I have to make sure I have lunch wherever Kurt Warner eats. If I was in Kurt Warner's shoes and I saw I was a Pittsburgh Steeler lineman, you know what I would tell my family? Put him in a body bag! Get him a body bag! Yeah! I mean, what kind of restaurant are we talking about here? I mean, like, uh, if somebody, like, covers my McDonald's or something, I mean, that's, that's nice. But, I mean, they, they cover my Chipotle, I mean, that's, you know, um, they got a friend for life. I will fight for Chipotle through all the E. coli scandals. I don't care. It's still delicious. <laughs> I'm still going to go. I'm just like another, you know, Chipotle fanatic. What if he, if he throws in the guacamole? Is, is it is it over then? I mean, he he like, I'm going to get a tattoo of him on my on my back. If he, you know, guacamole? It's like playoffs. Playoffs? <laughs> playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? Playoffs? <laughs> guacamole? To, to go away from my Chipotle silliness, uh, I, I agree. I think it's a really solid pick, and um, I totally think he's like kind of one of the actual Cinderella stories that you can that you can like take note of. Maybe like two weeks ago, I was watching NFL Network, and they were doing like top ten. Um, I don't know if they said Cinderellas, but they were like kind of like uh, rags to riches players. Or so, it was something to that, something like that. And he was number one because uh, the whole story you just said. He was just. A Larry Fitzgerald just skimming across the end zone to take up some time away from winning the Super Bowl. Because they were up in the Super Bowl with, I think, like a minute 30 to go. But, yeah, he's a great player, though. And, like you said, was able to take Arizona, who was just known as a loser town, and took it to the Super Bowl. I think the thing that's also telling is after Kerr Warner left, both those franchises experienced just downtrodden years. I mean, most recently, the Cardinals. And there were so many years where they had, like, Kevin Cobb and John Skelton and all these quarterbacks of, like, who's who. I don't even know who you are. I'm sure they didn't think it was going to take that long to replace them. I'm sure we've got John Skelton. We'll be fine. (laughs) When you're saying that, you know you're in trouble. Finally, my number one. This is a character that I feel the actual definition that Matty G gave of a Cinderella, this character fits that archetype perfectly. This character is a true rags-to-riches character. Not only was he poor, not only was he struggling to make money, but he was also very naive with life and, and very unguided. And then fluke opportunity put him in a position where he was in a ring of national spotlight and he fought one of the most unbelievable fights that anyone can remember in the fictional sport of boxing. Adrian! Rocky Balboa is my number one. literally living in this rat hole apartment he's a thumb breaker a collector for some gangster to make his money and he's he's very naive to life he's not street smart uh, i almost put on rocky on my list uh, or chuck Wepner, who was actually the real rocky that 
Stallone admitted, like, years later, that he was inspiration for uh, the Rocky story. Um, definitely a Cinderella story. Uh, the movie version is more of a Cinderella than the, than the real one, if you look it up, you'll see. Well, I'm not the biggest Rocky fan. For as much as I say I don't like it, 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 it does scream inspiration. Why don't you like Rocky? Uh, I can't understand what he's saying because there's no subtitles. That ain't us up there no more, pal. We can't do that the way we did it before. We're, we're, we're changing. We're, we're like turning into regular people. That was sad. Episode one, you do not like reading because you don't like reading the Star Wars subtitles. <laughs> Well, it's a, it's, there's a fine balance. I, I thought I still think that the intro paragraph that you're forced to read, that's a little on the pretentious side. But if you have a character who's 90% of the movie, and for 90% of the movie, you're, you're the uppercut. All I know is he said something about an uppercut. Put in some subtitles. Occasionally. Wow, he's like the pre-Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I was just playing, I uh, got a punch in my, my jaw. <laughs> that ain't us up there no more, pal. We can't do that the way we did it before. We're, we're, we're changing. We're, we're like turning into regular people. Although I, I did have to say that. I did like the Rocky one where you fought the Russians. So I can't say I didn't like, like any of them. It was good, but I felt like at that point the movie had just gotten too blockbuster in Hollywood. I mean, the Russian's literally like a robot. They have Apollo Creed dancing to Living in America. Uh, they have a freaking robot that they got as a present to Polly. Somebody died! Nobody, Nobody died in any of the Rocky movies. This oh, is Rocky 3. Rocky 3, Mickey died. He was killed that, by Clubber that was He's old. <laughs> That's unrelated to boxing. Clubber Lang killed him with insults <laughs> he killed his ego like that's different what i will say is this rocky 4 is better knowing that we have creed and rocky 4 and creed are, are very well connected obviously due to apollo dying in rocky 4 spoiler alert i was gonna watch that after 30 years <laughs> my god i spoiled a movie that's 30 years old I hate to break it to you, but when he goes to, when uh, Apollo Creed goes to fight the Russian, he, he should never have taken that fight. In retrospect, I think we can agree to that. Actually, you can maybe make the case that Rocky killed him. Because he was getting just beat. He could have thrown him in the town, but I, look, look, look. We thought he was just going to do some patty cakes. This Russian means business. I think he wants to kill you. So yeah, this is over. Well, I think Rocky was warning him, but Apollo Creed couldn't understand what, what Rocky was saying. I throw him top. That ain't us up there no more, pal. We can't do that the way we did it before. We're, we're, we're changing. We're, we're like turning into regular people. If he didn't speak like a caveman, he had the towel. You don't have to speak to throw it. They needed some sort of plot, so they were like, well, I mean, we wanted to fight in Russia, but why is he going to take this fight? Uh, okay, well, we'll just kill off somebody again like we did in Rocky Three. I mean, Rocky Four, I, I love, and I've always loved it as a kid, and it has one of my favorite songs ever in it. It's not Eye of the Tiger. It's, no, no, it's, it's actually the training montage, it's called. I know exactly what song you're talking about. Yeah, I love it. And I love Hearts on Fire and Burning Heart and everything with hearts. But um, <laughs> when you watch it without commercials, it's like, this is just a series of montages. Like, <laughs> it's just like, you know, the opening scene is, uh, I think, that, that fight between Apollo and, I uh, know, yeah, Apollo and Rocky are fighting. 
because uh, that was like the end of Rocky Three. Then they have like the fight with Rocky and Apollo. Then they have like you know a montage of him driving and thinking about Apollo's death. And then there's like a montage of him training. And then there's like a montage of him training some more. And then there's a montage of him fighting. <laughs> just I feel like if you look at a chart, it'd be like forty five percent montage for that. Like that script was probably like fourteen pages long. It was just like montage parentheses, and it was like. Uh, <laughs> Balboa is going to say this to Adrian because Adrian comes visits him in Russia. And then they're going to hug. And then parentheses montage for 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, so my honorable mention is Kirk Cousins. So that's a brief honorable mention, just given the fact that he had to overcome overtaking Robert Griffin III, who at the time was a very popular quarterback. The entire city loved him. He had one rookie of the year, won a division title, and over the course of two years, the guy who was drafted in the third round, who ended up going home on draft day in a coach airplane, while Robert Griffin III was flown home in a private plane. Three years later, Kirk Cousins is now the quarterback of the team, and it's Robert Griffin III who's looking for a home. Did Kirk Cousins get that starting position because of how he played? Or was it because Gruden just hated RG3 so much, he's like, you know what, I'm just going to play Cousins? When Gruden came in last year, he he wanted to give RG3 a fresh you know, start, so he gave him the starting job. And after that was the year that the Patriots went to the Redskins training camp um, to do a preseason. And the Patriots were saying, actually, we think you're better quarterbacks for Cousins, but that's just between you and me. But go with Robert. And they gave Robert the job, and he ended up getting hurt in the third week, which put Kirk Cousins in, but Kirk Cousins threw too many interceptions. And it wasn't that he just threw interceptions, but he would throw an interception and then just quit on himself. And he also knew that every time I throw an interception – this is my chance to win a job, and I just threw it away. So that's a lot of pressure on a guy. Robert actually got the fair stop um, chance in Gruden's first season, and then going into this year, he named Robert Griffin the third the starter, and then due to performance reasons, Kirk Cousins just ran the team better in training camp, and it was clear. Kirk had his chance to lead the starters, he did well with his opportunity, and never looked back. I honestly think that Kirk Cousins is a member of the Cobra Kai school of karate because I feel like he was whispering to the other team, sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And that's how Robert Griffin III got injured. No, Robert Griffin III got injured because he doesn't know pressure when he sees it. And he's just frail. Someday they're going to make a 30 for 30 episode on ESPN about the Robert Griffin III, Kirk Cousins story because it is just chalk filled with drama. I mean, uh, I don't know a lot about Kirk Cousins as much as uh, you guys do, apparently, but I know he took him to the playoffs, and uh, I know that RG3 kind of wound up being a little bit of a bust for the Redskins, so I'm sure Kirk Cousins is a nice um, welcome addition to uh, to the team after taking him to the playoffs. Five. All right, my number five is the 2001 New England Patriots. The Patriots win it, 16-13 in overtime. That was Brady's first championship, and nobody believed in the Patriots at the time. They beat Oakland on a controversial call. They make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Beat your Kurt Warner-led St. Louis Rams. Held them in check for most of the game, and then Tom Brady, at the end of the fourth quarter, led his team all the way down the field for them to kick a field goal to win it. So Tom Brady... And the 2001 Patriots. I remember that very, very clearly. I remember the tuck rule and the controversy associated with that. The the Super Bowl against the Rams where they were uh, 
highly, highly, you know, ranked as underdogs. The Rams were highly favored. I mean, I guess that was a time when the Patriots were actually an underdog. I mean, no, I know now they're not really considered that, but yeah, I, mean, I, I can see, I can see the case for that. I guess just the beginning of their, their really successful run. There's no Tom Brady sneaking by anybody now. There's no, oh, well, maybe the Patriots are going to win. Any game that they're playing, there's always a chance the Patriots are going to win it. And I think they were a super heavy underdog to the Rams. I want to say it was like a five-point spread. Because St. Louis had not, not won it last year, but the year before, and they had a great team. Greatest show on turf. I mean, how many teams get a nickname? And everyone thought, well, the Rams are going to win. It'll, it'll be 40 to something. And they kept that game close. Well, I mean, Tom Brady was amazing, but I remember that Patriots team had a sneaky good defense. Oh, yeah. Cool. Number four is the 2004 Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox earned this celebration here at Yankee Stadium with the biggest comeback in postseason baseball history. That won the World Series, their first World Series since 1918. Um, and they had to beat the New York Yankees to get to that World Series, in which they were down 3 nothing in a seven-game series. And I remember as a Yankee fan thinking, okay, well, we got this. And Boston... I, I almost hesitate to put it because they're not necessarily an underdog because they had a very talented team that year. They were just as stacked as the Yankees. But when you're down 3 nothing in a best-of-seven series, it's over. And then you throw in the whole Boston curse. For them to come back from that and not just beat the Yankees, but to win the World Series and truly lift the curse, I thought it was as Cinderella as it gets. I mean, I can see the case for them being like a huge, uh, you know, upset type of candidate. The reason why I wouldn't say it's a Cinderella is because uh, it was a team that was like really good for like a couple of years. That team was like, kind of stacked. I mean, they had um, Kurt Schilling, they had Manny Ramirez, they had David Ortiz. They had Ortiz, they had Damon, right? And that, and my point would be, Talon Evans stopped them from losing before. They they were not short of talent every other year they lost. And all that talent led them to a 3 nothing hole. I guess you can make an argument for them being Cinderella's story, uh, but I... I definitely think it's like, you know, one of the greatest like kind of like upsets because just because they were down 3-0. But when you actually look at the team, in my opinion, like they were actually like a really like loaded team. So that's why I wouldn't put them in, the, in my list. But I mean, I understand why you put your, them in yours. I remember that series, Yankees-Red Sox. I think the underdog story literally comes from the Boston curse. And it was a curse that was probably one of the most defined curses in sports that Boston literally had to overcome. And there were Red Sox fans who thought they would never be able to do it. And then, obviously, when the Yankees pulled ahead 3 to nothing, Boston's like, here we go. Yeah. It's over. All that time for the And they won a game. Okay, we didn't get swept. They win game five. Okay, man, we, we might have a chance here. I don't care about talent at this point. You still got to win that next game. When they won game six, I knew it, the Yankees were screwed. We were done. The, the uh, funniest thing about that whole thing is – that was truly the World Series because I, I think the World Series was very anticlimactic. I can't even remember who the Red Sox beat in the World Series after that series against the Yankees. Who did the Red Sox even beat? They played St. Louis. 
I know that because I had to look it up. What 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 was the series score in that? I don't know. The Red Sox to they won four games. That's all that matters. Nobody knows. And I think that's the funniest story because the Red Sox just handed it to the Cardinals, and it was truly the the uh, series against the Yankees that was kind of like their World Series. You finally beat the Yankees. There's such an opportunity for a letdown, and they didn't. Not only did they not have a letdown, they crushed them. I think the story, too, is in the rivalry. You know, it wasn't any team that Boston came back against. It was against the Yankees. Yankees versus Red Sox, that's classic. And the Yankees at that time had only known victory. Boston had only known defeat. At every opportunity, the Yankees beat them. It's only the third time they actually met in the postseason because back in the day, like for many, many years, in the 50s and before that, there was no ALCS or, or um, you know, playoffs within your own league. So if you were the best team in the American League, you go to the World Series. So this is only the third time they actually played in the postseason. Uh, actually, maybe the fourth if you count... So what, what they did was they had a one-game playoff in 78. Yankees won that one. 99, they played in the ALCS for the first time. Yankees won. 2003, they had the Aaron Boone home run. Yankees won the ALCS. So this is like the fourth time they met. So number three, I have the Patriots again, but from a different side. I have the 2007 New York Giants that beat the New England Patriots, who were undefeated at that time. The Giants have won the Super Bowl. It will go down as one of the biggest upsets in Super Bowl history. At all the conventional listens that the Patriots were just going to wipe the floor with the Giants. That was the David Tyree catch with the helmet. Not that New York was massively talented, but they had themselves a bit of an okay season. They got hot late, made a nice little playoff run, and spoiled the team from being perfect. If you look at the situation, you can see that it was a huge upset, definitely one of the biggest upsets, you could argue, in, uh, in football history because of the, the season that the Patriots had. I can see why you could argue that to Cinderella, but I personally, I didn't put it on my list because just because, I mean, it's still it's still like a, like a football team that I'm sure had some talented pieces. Like, they had a very uh, talented front line, I'm sure. I mean, I mean, I know. Uh, Strahan and, uh, you know, Justin Tuck and all those guys. But when you look at the upset of it, I can see why it would make most people's list. And don't forget their path. They had to win a lot of games on the road to get to that point. They had to beat the Packers at a frigid Green Bay. I think that was the NFC title game against Brett Favre. Tony, I 100% agree that their path was tough. You had to beat the Cowboys in Dallas. And the Cowboys were a very, very good team with a very hot quarterback who was up and coming. They beat the Packers, and then they beat the Patriots. I just remember, and and I will just say my sports bias. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I was one of the only people that was rooting against the Giants that whole run. The Giants were dead to right in a game against the Chicago Bears where Eli threw literally, I think, like five or six interceptions. What we didn't know at the time is that Eli will implode like that at least once every season. But their team, from a defensive standpoint, was talented enough to make up for the shortcomings of their quarterback and get them into a position where they could, you know, do some damage in the playoffs. And they beat a great Packers team. I mean, people forget that Packers team was one of the best, if not the best team in the NFC that year. Who they had lost on the the regular season finale in the Meadowlands playing the Patriots in New York. If you remember, dude, right, yep. the Patriots could have sat their starters, and the Giants mm-hmm. could have sat, sat their starters. I honestly think the NFL told both teams to play their starters because, if you remember, that game was simulcasted on network television because it was for the record. The Patriots would go sixteen and zero, and I bet you ten bucks the NFL told both teams to play their starters. And I bet you another ten bucks that the 
referees were told, make sure the Patriots win. But we can't have some 16-1. and one. You make sure they win, all right? You got your money? Excellent. <laughs> Can you hear the anger in my voice talking about this? I, I, ugh, I hate it. All right, well, maybe my number two pick will bring less anger to you. If you get angry over this pick, you might have some problems. All right. Although, actually, I can understand why you might have some problems with it. So, now my number two pick is the 2011 Women's World Cup winning team, Japan, who beat the United States to win the World Cup in that year. Now, you may, some of you may remember 2011. That's when Japan had the terrible earthquake. The nuclear plant of Fukushima melted down. Later that year, Japan was in the uh, Women's World Cup, and they outperformed themselves. They risen to, you know, respectable levels, like top five. Meanwhile, the Americans are the number one team. And, of course, everyone in the world is cheering for Japan because after the earthquake, you're cheering for them as a natural and human interest story. But at the same time, it's Team USA all the way, baby. And that was, I've never seen soccer play at that level. The Team USA that year, Abby Wambach, Alex Morgan was on that team, and Hope Solo, some of the best goaltending I'd ever seen. I was going to ask if that was the Hope, Hope Solo year. That was the Hope Solo year, and Japan was down in that game. They came back to tie it, and Japan ended up winning it in penalty kicks to bring pride to a nation after so much tragedy had taken place. For me, it was a great story. They beat the Americans, loaded with stars, loaded with talent. They literally the N1 mixtape team playing soccer out there. <laughs> but they were just as dominant as any team, and Japan had to beat them with the hopes of a nation on their shoulders. Now, you want to talk about pressure. Boston's just trying to win it for a city. Last time I checked, the nuclear plant in Boston didn't melt down. It might have been 24. It might have. But that's, you know, Tony Almeida can fix that, although he might have started it. Yeah. I don't watch any women's soccer, but uh, I've heard this story, and I know when you when you mix it in with the context of, like, real life, the same way we had you 2 as a high pick for our uh, halftime shows, that it kind of puts it into perspective, like, you know, like, what, you know, when it's, like, a real-life tragedy like that, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to kind of rank it next to something that's just, like, for the sake of sports, it kind of makes it, like, beyond sports. So I just see why it would be my target in some of the other picks. I remember going to a party and watching this game. It was in Philadelphia, and obviously everyone was cheering for the United States. And I just kind of laugh um, because as sentimental people, a lot of times we'll take a team like the New Orleans Saints who went through Katrina and they came back and then that year they won the Super Bowl and it was a great story. But here, Japan, a team that had just you know, gone through this huge crisis, and they're playing the United States as an underdog, and here, we're all like, go U.S., go beat those Japanese! And I'd be cheering for Japan if they weren't playing my home. So, but you were one of those people, Tony, that went, go U.S.! Oh, absolutely. The Japanese are down! Put them in a body bag! Get them a body bag! Yeah, I was very much against Japan for that one game. Sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? I was very much Cobra Kai. One. Number one, but the miracle on ice. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Just the, the classic story of the Russian hockey team, the Soviet Union hockey team, was one of the, the best hockey teams ever to play the sport. They had beaten, they had beaten the NHL All-Stars. And not only were the Americans going to beat them, beat them in the Olympics, 
the Americans were going to beat the Russians with amateurs. Because at the time, we were like, you know what? We're not going to put our professionals into the Olympics. We'll let the college kids play. No one believed them. No one gave them a chance. But we all know the story. The semifinal game, they beat Russia. They were losing, going into the second period, pull off the upset, beat the Russians, go to the gold medal game, win the gold. Clearly, Sylvester Stallone watched this and was like, you know what? We can make this into a movie where 45% of it is montage. <laughs> I got a plan for this. You just like, let's just get some bands to make some awesome songs, like training montage. Yeah, we'll call it training montage. And you know what? In 30 years, some kid in Maddie G, because I love that song. Would all of the songs in said movie have some lyric about a heart? I mean, it sounds like a good idea. I mean, we could probably make a couple million dollars off of this. Maybe, maybe 50 million. We'll find out. We could sell it on the patriotism of the country. I mean, maybe we could even have a song entitled, um, Inhabiting America. We'll simplify it because people don't really know what inhabiting means nowadays. It's called living in America. I thought you Jaw. That ain't us up there no more, pal. We can't do that the way we did it before. We're, we're, we're changing. We're, we're like turning into regular people. Not to undersell the miracle on ice, uh, although I think we're propping it up by uh, comparing it to Rocky Four, which is a great movie. It, it was just an awesome, awesome time. Awesome time to be an American. And one of those games where you truly saw, you know, American pride and patriotism, you know, just coming through. And then obviously you talk about the odds. It was overwhelming odds against uh, the American team. So for them to push through uh, against a uh, Russian team that, that just looked insurmountable, you know, looked almost robotic. They were just dominating people. It's like Rocky Ford. It's <laughs> Bookmark. <laughs> that ain't us up there no more, pal. We can't do that the way we did it before. We're, we're, we're changing. We're, we're like turning into regular people. I think we're starting rumors again. Like Lindsay Lohan. For number five, I'm going to go with what I think is the, the quintessential NCAA Cinderella story. It's 1985, Villanova Wildcats. Uh, this team was an eight seed. It's the lowest seed ever to win the championship in the current format. It was a team that was not expected to do much, and it went up against some major opponents, such as Michigan, which was a top seeded team, North Carolina, a second seed, and then they beat Patrick Ewing, who was like a legendary college college player. Uh, his Georgetown Hoyas were just like a powerhouse. Yet they managed to upset them very dramatically, very close game, very dramatic game, and I think they are the number one in terms of college basketball Cinderella's and they're only my number five on my list, but I'm going number five, Villanova. I think it's a great pick. You know, I, I was, I was think like one or two when it happened. I guess the only thing that I'll say is, is the reason I didn't include it in my list is I tried to include ones where I was alive for and, and involved because I could comment on the nature of uh, everything that was going on during this run. And it turned Villanova into a national powerhouse. There's still a powerhouse program today. Actually, I mean, I wasn't alive to see this, but I watched documentaries about it. I've read about it, and um, I just think, I mean, I wanted to do at least one that was all about college basketball, since it is like kind of like the theme of this uh, podcast. Not necessarily all about college basketball, but we're talking about Cinderella's and it's March Madness. Cool. Uh, number 
four. I'm going to steal this one from DJ Seth O, and I'm going to pick Kurt Warner. Play clock at one. Kurt got the play away. Back to throw. Warner with ton of time. Throwing right side. Fits open. Caught at the five. I picked Kurt Warner for a lot of the reasons we already discussed. You know what I have on my list, which you're going to see, is like they all have different kinds of categories within the big category of Cinderella's. And this is my individual Cinderella for sports. Uh, Kurt Warner goes from being um, in the Canadian League and arena football, bagging groceries, to winning... The Super Bowl. He goes to the Super Bowl again later on in his career after everyone thought he was done. He winds up having kind of two Cinderella stories in one NFL career. Uh, even though the second one fell short to the Steelers in one of the most uh, memorable Super Bowls, I think he overall he's kind of like my individual sports Cinderella for uh, for my list. Okay, here's a great trivia question. When he was playing with the St. Louis Rams, what quarterback did Kurt Warner sub in for? to start this Cinderella run. Who is Trent Green? Yeah! Yeah, it was a neck injury or something like that, right? Yeah, a serious injury. It looks like a preseason injury, and they're like, okay, well, Trent Green's done for the season. All right, okay, bad Packer. You're you're in there now. Put put away the shopping carts, and you're going to put up the playbook now. You know why I didn't know that answer it was because in 1999, I was too busy playing Nintendo 64, and I was listening to Limp Bizkit. I obviously don't argue with it. Kurt Warner was my number two pick. You know, obviously the crazy thing about Kurt Warner is he went from putting groceries into bags to putting NFL teams into body bags. Get him a body bag! Everyone thought Kurt Warner was done. He was positioned uh, as a backup to Eli Manning, a backup to Matt Liner, and everyone thought his career was over. And for him to come back and and have the run he did with Arizona, not just the Super Bowl year, but the following year, they actually made it to the playoffs as well. And they had one of the best NFL games ever against the Packers. And then they lost to the Saints the uh, following game in the divisional rounds. People forget after the Super Bowl year, Kurt Warner was still good and still kept the Cardinals very much relevant and alive in the playoffs. So, number three, I am going to go with, just like Tony, I'm going to go with the 1980 United States Olympic hockey team. America. I was yes. negative four when that happened. I was negative something too, so I, I get the fact, but we've all seen the documentaries. We've all seen the evidence. I mean, all of my picks are, as you're going to see, they're all kind of American in, in one way or another, so it's not like I, I wanted to go too crazy with like going back in time before I was alive. But this is one where no matter what movie or documentary you see about it, it seems like I would put it as like the best Cinderella in sports. Where I think Villanova is the best college basketball Cinderella. I think this is the best in, in terms of like sports, general team sports. This is like a Cinderella story. When you put the context of the Cold War and everything on top of it, and you put a four-time gold medal team with the Soviets, and then you have this college team of United States players, it's just a kind of a ridiculous Disney story. And you know, just as a show, you actually wind up being a Disney movie you know, years later because it's just that perfect of a of a story where it's just like it's gotta be fake. It's almost like a too good to be true type for at least for if you're on the America side. Oh, you know I agree with that pick. I agree with the pick too. I mean, you know, not only was it a great story, but it led to Rocky Four, so bonus points.
I wish I knew that we were going to pick stuff that didn't necessarily land in our uh, lifespan. I would have picked some more inspirational ones. Well, we left it up to open, open to interpretation thing. I was thinking uh, that would be kind of uh, an interesting activity to do because uh, you get some interesting answers. Alright, so if you thought that was weird, just wait till you see number two. Are you ready? Are you going to, like, cite the American Revolution? No. Almost. Okay. War of 1812. Number two. I'm going with some guy named Abraham Lincoln. I mean, I didn't want to go too far back. I didn't want to go into, like, deep into history. But if you think about American history, think about a Cinderella story in terms of uh, president, in terms of a grand scale. This is a guy who was born in a log cabin in 1809. He wanted to teach himself law. He wanted to being a president. Not just any president. He wanted to being the president to keep the whole country together. And goes down as probably one of the top two most important leaders in American history. He wants up being, he starts off being poor, having to, you know, basically like, uh, take care of his whole family, self-taught. Sounds kind of like a, uh, Cinderella to me. I can't disagree on that one. I mean, you know, when you take a look back at American history and, and what Abe Lincoln had to go through and what he had to get through, I think it's pretty incredible. I honestly thought you might be going the Civil War route because many people forget the Union was somewhat of a Cinderella story in and of themselves. I just did the Gettysburg tour uh, last year. Uh, I had done it before, but I, I revisited and did a camping trip there. The tour really hit spot on the head that the Union Army was lacking in the leadership and, and the military tactics that the Confederate Army had. But when you think about it, Abe Lincoln was the president during this whole span of time, and he actually had to be the head of state through this whole rough period that is a civil war. And you might say, hey, what does that have to do with sports? What does that have to do with Cinderella? But I ask you this one question. Where is the NFL today? They have Lincoln to keep the country together. Is it two different NFLs? Is it like the, the UFL and the CFL? Like, what, what, what happens? That's, that's what I'm going to say. No, I mean, I'm definitely obviously happy that we have a united NFL. And more importantly, on a, obviously happy that we have a united states of America, not a divided states of America. I think obviously the other big thing, too, is... Is, is what Abe Lincoln did as far as uh, freeing so many people that were enslaved who didn't have the opportunity to lead a good life, who were slaves to, you know, the uh, plantation owners. And I think the whole thing could be one big Cinderella story. I, I agree, and I wanted to throw a curveball in there because I knew everything was going to be sports. And, uh, well, I didn't know that, but I figured most things would be sports, so I, I wanted to throw a little curveball in there. Now I have a question. Are there any more colonial picks? No. Now I have a question. Now how come Abe Lincoln gets the nod over George Washington? You know, it, it's a tough call. It's, it really would argue the, the, the British clearly had this war won. I mean, what are Americans with pitchforks want to do? It's true. I, I almost picked America in the in the Revolutionary War as a Cinderella. It, it's true. I, I definitely think you should have picked the Revolutionary War because the Americans were literally like 30-point underdogs. <laughs> That's being generous. Well the, well, the French came in and helped us out, actually. Remember that? So the French was kind of the fair godmother. They came in with the, you know, the pumpkin, and uh, they were just like, hey, let's do this. Yeah, and I guess that would make the British like the Cobra Kai Dojo, where they came <laughs> onto America and said, put him in a body bag! Get him a body bag! Yeah! But they said it really, like, gentlemanly. You gotta put him in a You can put him in a bag. You can't put him in a backpack. You gotta, it gotta be a body bag. Put him in a box. You gotta sweep the legs. Sweep the leg. 
You have a problem with that? He meant a little, little kicks. It is a little kick. I can do a kick. <laughs> I, I think the whole podcast should just be him just doing that for like yeah, 60 minutes. <laughs> I can do Paul McCartney explaining his Beatles songs. I can do that. <laughs> Let it be. I was really tired. All right. Actually, that's what I originally did. I called it Maddie G. And the, like, who's Maddie G? Nobody knows. So I just changed it to Let It Be. It was more general. <laughs> Maddie G. Maddie G. And now Maddie G can claim Let It Be. It's worked out to everybody's advantage. Right. So I just threw a curveball. I threw the whole world a curveball with Abraham Lincoln. So now it's going to be like a curve on top of a curve. So it's going to be kind of like a knuckleball. So I pretty much. I threw a knuckleball, like, right onto everyone's face right now. Number one is going to be none other than the very talented, very successful Oprah Winfrey. Here we go. She started off as an unwed teenage mother. She was raised by her grandmother until she was six. She lived on welfare. The family relied on welfare. Also, she was abused sexually as a young child. And now she's worth $3 billion. And unlike most women on the richest people in the world list, she is a self-made billionaire. So if that isn't much of a Cinderella story, I don't know what it is. I wanted to have Oprah in that. Uh, should I do this in Paul McCartney voice or regular <laughs> I'll go regular voice. Uh, She's a you know great pick. If you look at the record that she has now, and then showed it when she started, nobody would believe. Wait, she started off like that. First of all, she's the only female on my list, so she's actually more Cinderella than anything. Second, second of all, she's number five sixty nine on the world's richest billionaires list on Forbes dot com. So she started off on welfare, and now she's a self made billionaire worth three billion dollars. I don't think there's any bigger jump that I can find in terms of people that went from welfare to, to billionaire and what, just because they got married to, like, the right guy or something, like Anna Nicole Smith or something. I have trouble arguing with you. I mean, uh, I knew that Oprah was a rags-to-riches story. I, I, I didn't know some of the stuff that she went through that you kind of summarized, so I'm still just trying to take it in. I, I can't say I'm a fan of the Oprah Winfrey Book Club. I, I don't feel like she chooses the greatest books. But other than that, you know, what she's done is 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 amazing. It's awesome. Basically, I knew the category was too was too broad. I mean, I don't know if it was too broad. I think it was a fun it was a fun open ended question. So what I went up doing, I found out last night when I was working on this for like an hour or two. I found out that I was going to do like kind of mini categories on my own list. So I have Villanova to represent, you know, college basketball and March Madness, which is what it's all about in the first place. Then I have Kurt Warner to represent my Cinderella of individual sports players. Then I have Lincoln to represent kind of like, you know, historical Cinderella. Then I have the, the U.S. hockey team to, you know, for like teams, like the best team Cinderella ever. And then I have Oprah for like kind of like overall Cinderella and like financial and celebrities and all that stuff in one category. And women, but not to mention since Cinderella is supposed to be a woman in the first place. The most creative I got with my list was I was actually going to list Cinderella. <laughs> I thought that too. <laughs> and just literally say, well, you know, the name came from somewhere. Uh, she certainly defines all Cinderellas. Five, five, Y'all ready for this? One, two, three, let's go! Here we go. At number five, we have the 2011 Japan's women's soccer team. At number four, we have... Oh, yeah, I got tied. What should it be? Rocky or Oprah? No, not... Yeah, Rocky or Oprah for three and four. Rocky versus Oprah? <laughs> <laughs> I think Rocky could win. I don't know. Sylvester's looking kind of old now, and I can understand what Oprah's saying. That ain't us up there no more, Pa. We can't do that the way we did it before. We're... we're we're changing. We're, like, turning into regular people. I mean, for me, it's not really a contest, but, you know, 
Rocky is the definition of an underdog, so why not beat Oprah? Everyone believes Oprah had all the advantages, and somehow Rocky beats Oprah. I think it's. I think you have to include Rocky. Okay, you know what? We'll just do it this way. I'll make my case for Rocky. You make your case for Oprah. Rocky, to me, defines the uh, cinema version of a Cinderella story. Any movie Cinderella story that you see after 1980 was based off of Rocky. Because Rocky captured the hearts of so many people. But I know the argument that Tony would definitely make and Matty G might make. He's a fictional character. In which case, I have to say, is there not a statue of Rocky outside the Philadelphia Museum of Art? Why the city of Philadelphia would build a statue for a fictional character when there's tons of other fictional characters they could build statues for is beyond me. Look, I'm just saying, Buzz Lightyear does not have a statue outside of Des Moines. Not yet. Well, my case for Oprah is... She's real. She's real. She um, has a dramatic uh, upswing between her beginning to her present. And Both were real. And she's also a woman. Like and like, no one else on this list is, is a woman besides the Japanese soccer team. Yeah, it's just a whole team of women. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Oprah's real and the jump she made, uh, yeah, I, I could see why you would rank her over Rocky. So I mean, she fought, uh, Tom, she fought Tom Cruise when he was going crazy. He was jumping on the on the couch and stuff. Was that on Oprah? Yeah, I think he, like he's, she survived. I mean, that was that was like pretty much like you know Rocky Four. Oh, I'll just give her the Cinderella for de- having to deal with that. <laughs> I mean, Rocky fought communism, and uh, she fought Scientology in one, you know, the epitome of each. Number four, we have our first fictional character, Rocky Balboa. Number three, Oprah Winfrey. Number two, Kurt Warner. And number one, the 1980 U.S. hockey team. Well, now that we have a finalized list, Matty G, why don't you give us a list? We'll all make uh, quick comments about it, and then we can uh, wrap this up. The top five lists. Top five Cinderella's. Number five, the 2011 Japanese women's soccer team. They won the championship. They won the World Cup. On top of having to deal with the 2011 Japan earthquake, the nuclear meltdown at Fukushima, and they had to be one of the greatest soccer teams ever assembled, the 2011 United States women's soccer team. Definition of Cinderella. For the bigger context, I'm happy that the uh, Japanese team won with all the adversity that they had to face. I just think Hope Solo would have really improved Star Wars Episode Seven. just saying. Number four. Rocky, the Italian stallion, Balboa. The reason I like Rocky is because he's obviously the traditional movie Cinderella story. But every Rocky movie, they up the ante that Rocky has to overcome. So they always up the ante for Rocky, and Rocky always won. Yes, Rocky always won, except for Rocky won. Wait, wait, wait. Spoiler alert. I just want to throw it in there because, you know, we just spoiled Rocky 1. No, he's a consistent winner across multiple continents. He ended the Cold War. And he has a statue. Okay, number three. We have Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Oprah is a true, real-life Cinderella. She's still relevant today. She went from being in welfare as a child to being a $3 billion person who was self-made. This is somebody who went from rags to riches in a very extreme way. That's why she was my number one, and she's our number three as a collective unit. Oprah went 
from having a really crappy life to having a really crappy book club. <laughs> Respect to her for making the jump. No, yeah, getting to the book club. A lot of other people have been very successful thanks to working with her. You like, know, ooh. she's kind of like the corn to a lot of people's Limp I'm happy Oprah's inclusion just to get a Limp Bizkit reference. Number two, we have Kurt Warner. Play clock at one. Kurt got the play away. Back to throw. Warner with ton of time. Throwing right side. Fits open. Caught at the five. Well, he's won a Super Bowl, and he's been to several others. And every time his career was going to be finished, that's when he rose back to prominence. So if, if not the Cinderella Award, he can definitely win the Phoenix Award. Here's one extreme case where somebody started off not as a draft player, starts off as a, just very modest uh, you know, beginnings, and winds up going to the top, top of football, which is such a huge sport here in this country. So it's got to be our number uh, one for personal athletes. And uh, yeah, he's, he's legit. He's a legit Cinderella story. Really is. I mean, I think the fact that he did it twice speaks volumes, and I'm glad he's number two. And number one, we have the 1980 U.S. men's hockey team. I think it is the epitome of a rags-to-riches story, a true underdog story, and it gave us another great underdog story because it inspired Rocky Ford. Anyone who's watched the documentary or heard the story, it's just the, the classic American story. You don't think we can do it. Odds are against us. We go out and win. And it's one of those, it's a classic story. Don't give the underdog a little bit of hope. If you're going to beat the underdog, you need to crush them early. Don't think they, don't give them a chance because they just may win. Hard to argue with this pick. Uh, it's got the kind of Cinderella story feel that almost feels fake. It almost feels unreal. And it kind of is a, you know, one of those things where the announcers like normally say, oh, like if you hand this to a movie producer, they would say that that wouldn't happen in real life. Like it's, it's like actually that story. Like it's, it's like that probably is the, the epitome of that kind of story. Fair enough. Well, I. <laughs> I think we got a great top five. Um, I like it. And Matty G, thank you for uh, picking such an awesome topic. It was definitely uh, something different from what we've done, and I had fun doing this. So this is the High Five Countdown Podcast. Uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Just search High Five Countdown Podcast. Also, if you like what you hear, whether it's this episode or some of our previous episodes, such as Top 5 Super Bowl Halftime Shows or Top 5 Songs of 2015, give us a positive rating on iTunes. We especially like 5-star ratings, and we'll also take 4-star ratings. One star reviews, we will sweep those legs. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? Let's shut it down. I'm DJ Setho, and if anyone really does want to argue with me, they can take their arguments and put them in a body bag! Get them a body bag! Yeah! I'm Tony B, whatever, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm Maddie G, and I'm totally picking Oprah Winfrey as my sleeper this year. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the High Five Countdown podcast. We'll see you all for the next episode. And remember, sweep the lane. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that?